Welcome to episode three of The Elephant Outside the Room. When starting this podcast, I had hoped to do weekly episodes. At this point in time, that is clearly not going to happen due to my already busy life. But weekly episodes are not necessary for my goals for this podcast. I do not want to be making yet another political podcast where I just summarize the weekly news, highlighting the arguments I agree with, and knocking down the ones I don't. I want to tackle issues that are more ongoing that I feel need to be addressed by our government. So I'm not committing to any specific schedule, but I will try to continually work on new episodes. This week, we're going to continue not talking about Donald Trump and not talk about Twitter. Let's talk about the Electoral College. You know that thing that we get mad about every four years and then don't talk about changing until just a few months before the election? Some elections, like this last one or the one in 2000, it seems particularly dumb. But we console ourselves by talking about how it doesn't matter most of the time. I would like to take a brief aside to state that I'm going to talk about a number of different ideas about reforming the Electoral College and our elections as a whole in this country. As much as possible, I'm going to try to do this towards the universally agreed upon ideals of our country and of democracy and not towards political motivations. Once the 2016 primaries were over, it was clear that our country was in for four years of corruption and political stupidity. I do want to talk about ideas for structural reform, not rehash the 2016 election again. As a voter in Ohio, my vote is supposed to matter. Ohio is a swing state. At one point in 2016, I toyed with the idea of voting third party. A friend of mine that lives in Texas told me that voting third party would be irresponsible since I live in Ohio because my vote actually matters. Ohio could go either way, so I have the greatest weight in pushing the election. I recently got some data. The official numbers for the 2016 election are out. I have looked over the official totals, and Ohio, represented by 18 electoral votes, had 5,496,487 voters. Now, the country has 538 electoral votes in all. 48 of our states are winner-take-all, and Ohio alone would have made up almost half the distance Hillary Clinton needed to win the election, so it's a fairly important state. Of the approximately 5.5 million voters in Ohio, 2.8 million voted for Clinton and 2.4 million voted for Trump, with 250,000 and then a rounding error accounting for the rest of them. That means about 200,000 people who voted for Trump needed to change their mind to Clinton, or about 100,000 and all of the third-party voters. So this is considered to be a close state. Since we have 18 electoral votes, I shared my electoral vote with 305,770 other voters. So about 300,000 votes equals one electoral vote. If you're in Ohio, if you live in Wyoming, Voters only split each electoral vote between 85,000 voters. D.C., Vermont, Alaska, and Hawaii are all between 100 and 110,000 voters for each electoral vote. So why is it that it takes three times as many Ohio voters to have the same impact as voters from these other states? Well, the first assumption is that it's all about size, and there definitely is a correlation there. But California and New York are both around 260,000 voters for each electoral vote. Ohio, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Colorado, North Carolina, and Florida are all above 300,000 voters for each electoral vote. Now, there are a couple factors here. Electoral votes are assigned based on population, and I am counting voters. But in the default, 
democratic assumption of a popular vote, which is how most democracies and most democratic processes, even if it's not a government process, take place, they don't adjust votes based on population. It just counts who shows up on election day. So that is what I'm counting here when I bring up the way the electoral college skewed our worth. But why the skewing? Every state gets the same amount of electoral votes that it has representatives, plus two for the senators. So if your state has only one representative due to its small population, then you get an extra two electoral votes, and this significantly swings your significance in deciding the president, because your state has three times as many electoral votes as the population di dictates. This is the case for Alaska, Delaware, D.C., Montana, North and South Dakota, Vermont, and Wyoming. Ohio has 16 representatives, so instead of tripling its value, the two senators add another one-eighth of its proportional value. Basic democracy has this idea of one person, one vote. Yeah, right. Voters in Ohio have about one-third the vote that voters in Wyoming, D.C., Vermont, Alaska, and Hawaii have. Now, the idea here is to make, make it so that small states aren't ignored during elections by the federal government. And that is an important thing, but I don't think it's brought up enough here that as a voter deciding who my president is, I count so much less than voters in other states. And this is because of the current allocation of electoral votes. And that is something that is dictated by the Constitution and is going to be very difficult to change. I also want to discuss the second electoral factor that leads to poor representation, the winner-take-all methodology for these electoral votes. Let's look at three different states here. Hawaii, New Hampshire, and Wyoming. Hawaii was won by Hillary Clinton by about 138,000 votes. In Wyoming, Donald Trump won by about 120,000 votes. In both of these states, you could double the loser's share of the vote, and the winner would still win. They were complete blowouts. New Hampshire was won by Hillary Clinton by 2,736 votes. In New Hampshire, almost 50,000 people voted third party. The difference between winning and losing was 36 hundredths of a percent of the voters. Remember that 1% is one hundredth of the whole. So we're talking about 0 0.0036 of the voters in New Hampshire is the difference between winning and losing. If 1,369 Clinton voters woke up on November 8th and decided to vote for Trump, New Hampshire would have gone the other way. The reason I'm saying this in so many different ways is because I want to illustrate how close this is. It's not Florida in 2000 close, but it was really, really close. So when we look at these three states, we have two blowouts and one that was incredibly close. I think in both Hawaii and Wyoming's case, it is safe to say that these populations overwhelmingly wanted the candidates that won their state to receive their votes. But the majority of New Hampshire's voters are not being represented how they would like because 50,000 people voted third party. So that is over 50% did not want their candidate who represented them. Yet Hillary Clinton received every electoral vote. If you go through all 50 states, there's a number of cases that are very similar to this on both sides. New Hampshire is just an easy extreme. Two states, however, don't have a winner-take-all methodology. They split their electoral votes, Maine and Nebraska. How they both do it is that the candidate that wins the popular vote in that state receives two electoral votes. Those would are the ones that equivalent to the senators. And then every other electoral vote is won by the candidate that wins their congressional district. Now, this is a 
a good method, and it's definitely progress based on the winner-take-all methodology. Uh, in the 2016 election, uh, Nebraska, uh, Trump still won every single district, so he got all of the electoral votes. In Maine, Hillary Clinton won the state, so she got two. She won one congressional district, and Trump won the other one. So he got one of the four electoral votes. And this is a better representation of what the population of Maine wanted than if Hillary Clinton would have gotten all four. The Constitution determines how many electoral votes each state gets. However, it was these two states' legislators that determined that they wanted to dish them out in a different way. And there's no limits on what a state can decide to do them. States could decide just to divide them up based on their own popular vote. If this had happened during a 2016 election, that for every single state, that means that Trump would have received 267 electoral votes. Clinton still would have received less with 265, and third-party candidates would have received six electoral votes. Now, doesn't that sound a lot more like the elector of our country? It's a lot more representative of what our population wanted. Now, Clinton still loses despite winning the popular vote because of the small state advantage granted by the current way electoral votes are allocated between the states, but the election doesn't look like a blowout. And technically, because neither candidate got over 50% of the electoral vote, the election would actually go to the House of Representatives to be decided, which that is a whole nother issue. My important point here is that the election was not a blowout, and it shouldn't have looked like a blowout when you look at the electoral map. In contrast to the current system that says don't ignore small states, a proportional vote split says don't ignore the states that you're going to lose. Trump could have picked up 20 votes in California, 11 in New York, states he had no realistic chance of winning. Clinton could have received 17 in Texas and 3 in Alabama, states she didn't have a realistic chance of winning. So that means those parties need to take into consideration the way people will feel about them and the states that they are going to lose. It also means that Republicans in California and Democrats in Texas have a reason to show up on election day because their vote will be counted. They can contribute towards a part of their state's electoral votes representing what they want, even if they know that their whole state is not going to go towards the candidate they they choose. What about the battleground states? Well, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania all would have split their electoral votes 50-50, which reflects the way those states feel a lot better. Another huge point that I think is really important for our democracy is that third parties would have received some electoral votes under this plan. This means that they matter. It gives more of a voice to the voters like me who look at Democrats and Republicans and always end up voting for the ones that they dislike the least. Sure, it's a long way to go before a third party candidate has a realistic chance of winning the election, and maybe that's okay. But it wouldn't be a protest vote, and that does give third parties the opportunity to establish themselves as a real party and maybe get some representatives into Congress or state legislatures because they are seen as more significant due to getting some electoral votes. To wrap this up, I think our country needs massive election reform. The Electoral College is just one piece of the greater issues with the way elections happen in our country. I hope to talk about the others in future issues. Getting rid of the Electoral College or changing the massively skewed way that electoral votes are allocated would require a constitutional amendment. and That is something that would be very hard to achieve. 
But the way each state awards those electoral votes is something that can be changed on a state-by-state basis. And I think voters should push their states to make changes. To me, it seems like a proportional split would be the best option, Um, but even a congressional district split is progress. And in all things dealing with our ineffective government, I would encourage politicians and voters not to hold out for an absolute ideal. Take progress where you can get it. With that, thanks for listening, and this has been The Elephant Outside of the Room.